And this is Joe Bunazar, and, and with Impact Basketball, we're really excited to partner with Coaching You Live and Coach uh, Brendan Fair and Kevin Eastman with our certification program. We've put together an online program for player development, uh, over 17 hours of video that we feel will really change the way players are developed and, and be very, very helpful to coaches, trainers, parents all over the world. So really excited to partner with Coaching You Live. Uh, we've, we've put a special deal together with Coaching You Live to provide a discount code of Coaching You Live entered in our promo code, all lowercase, Coaching You Live at our website, impactbball.com, impactbball.com. If you click on Get Certified, and you can go right to the page to get signed up, enter that Coaching You Live code, and you will receive the discount. But really excited. It's a great program. I think that it's going to change the way players are developed. That's been our mission since we started uh, training players 18 years ago, and it continues to be our mission today. Now we're sharing this knowledge for the first time with coaches all over the world. Welcome to another podcast for Coaching You. And this is the coach, Brendan Sir, and one of my – The only way I can describe him is uh, one of my dear friends, former colleagues at UCF, and just a tremendous teacher, coach, and friend, Greg Brown, the head coach at Lipscomb University in beautiful Nashville, is our guest today. Welcome, my friend, Greg. Coach, thanks so much. It, uh, I appreciate that. It, it's funny to have a um, somebody you consider a friend and a mentor as well, and being able to work down the hallway from me for those years was uh, truly something that I look, look back on every day and thankful for. You know, it's funny. People say, what the heck are you doing over at UCF? And I said, I'm learning. And I said, hey, who are you learning from? I said, well, I learn from my man, Donnie Jones. Every day I learn from Sean Finney and Darren Tillis and guys on our staff. But I said, but... You know, the great thing is, you know, within a short walk, as you said, Greg, you know, here is, you know, one of my dearest friends in coaching, Joy Williams, and there was you, and then my, our buddy Bob Starkey. I mean, <laughs> it was a my, great hallway, wasn't it? it? Yeah, I said, we had coaching you every day. I mean, it was it was great. And Donnie Jones, actually, uh, you know, as a funny aside, our, our head coach at UCF uh, used to say, uh, coaching me, not coaching you, you know. <laughs> but you know what I loved? Uh, uh, spending time with you. Uh, few years together was uh, your incredible desire to learn as well as teach and I always think the best coaches and teachers are the ones that are the best students uh, we did a podcast recently with my partner Kevin Eastman and he talked about the on season which some people would call the off season and I think it's a brilliant way of putting it but you Greg from your days when you started coaching became an avid learner because I think, like my background being with UB Brown and, you know, and stuff, uh, really I think was the reason you have a great teacher, you become a great student uh, if you have that attitude. But you had this incredible opportunity to learn from two of the very best people in the world, Don Meyer and Pat Summit. Let's talk about them. I was very, very, very fortunate um, to have the opportunity to come to Lipscomb, and I knew of Coach Meyer and stuff when I got here, and it was funny. I'd always been a note-taker just just growing up. I remember watching the Celtics games and taking notes on Bird and McHale because that's who I thought I was. I was a mixture of the two of them, minus the size and athletic ability and skill. But uh, when I got to Lipscomb, you know, I just hit it. I, I found a niche right there with how Coach taught, and then the opportunity to be a student assistant and to run his camps and and. Anyway, just to be in that in that environment, which allowed me the opportunity to to get to know Coach Summit, 
and you, we both know how the coaching and teaching world is. And, and once you're in that, you know, I, I fell into the right place at the right time, and and very fortunate to to be in those situations. Well, now, when we were working together, you were starting the process. And uh, you were teaching me basically how to how to take all my notes and how to compile them in an effective way, because I, like so many other coaches, I've got great napkins, I've got you know legal pads everywhere, and uh, I've got some great stuff if I can only find it. And you were showing me how you were organizing your thoughts and your ideas and, and things you had learned, and now I see it in the book. And when I read this book last week. First of all, it was brilliantly done, Greg. And and on top of it, I'm sitting there as a continuous learner, and I am saying, when Kevin Eastman gets a hold of this thing, he is going to be uh, he's going to be so excited because this is one of the best pieces I've ever read on coaching. Well, I really appreciate that. The, the fact that you called it brilliant means I had nothing to do with it. I was just <laughs> lucky enough to uh, to format it. Uh, it's all Coach a, Summit and Coach Meyer. Computer. You had a good computer. No. Excellent, excellent uh, layout and uh, copy and paste works really, really well. Yeah. But it's the material in there that makes it good. Yeah. And uh, the, the thing I wanted to be able to do, you know, Coach always talked about being able to, to be able to review and and, and retrieve your notes. It doesn't do any good to have notes if you're not able to retrieve them so that you can review them. That's the only reason that, that, that you would take them. So trying to find a way to put them into a system, because we both know we have you know rooms full of notebooks, and I just kept tearing it down, and, and, and obviously with, with different software and, and Evernote's a great tool that we've used for that. Um, I wanted to be able to wait to share the notes, and I didn't really think about a book. I wanted a way that I could look through it every day, you know, as Coach Eastman talks about, you know, having that reading time in the morning and just being able to go through them. Anyway, it evolved into, I thought, you know, I want a way to be able to share these things with my two boys and our team. And then kind of the final product, and then when I got the job here at Whipscomb, you know, I obviously wanted a way to be able to do it, and uh, then the format just kind of worked, and it's a Cornell note format because I wanted to be a thought pad. I didn't want it to be a passive thing that you would throw on your shelf after reading. I wanted something you could put into, you could think on it, you could chew on it, you could make your own notes. And that's what I do. I put a note when I have a thought with a date next to it. Or if we find something to talk to the team about, put a note next to it. And it kind of gives you an idea of what we were thinking about on November 14th, you know, 2014. And uh, that was kind of the, the background to it. Explain, uh, Greg, uh, the Cornell North Cornell? note format, because I think it is obviously beyond brilliant. I mean, it's well, again, that's why Cornell's in the Ivy League, and, and I didn't attend there. But one of the greatest things Coach Meyer taught us was, you know, the ability to adapt versus adopt stuff and, and, and to steal when you can, uh, legally, of course. But that format, um, he's, you know, he always credited because obviously it had to be good if it came from Cornell. But the, it's just a note. You take your note page, and we use it with our players, and it's a system that they use to raise students' GPAs there. And you divide your page into two-thirds and one-third, and you put the, the notes that you're taking, if it's in a class or a meeting, in the two-third part, and you leave a margin of one-third of your paper to put your thoughts. So like if it's a class with our players, you know, that's where they would summarize, or they would go back and review their notes after class while it's still fresh and make notes about, you know, he said to make sure we know this, or here's a thought I had. Coaching-wise. So you're, the, you're emphasizing this with the women on your team uh, when they're in their academic program? Is that Yeah, we give them notebook paper that's laid out like that. Correct. How about that? And um, I love that. 
Yeah, and it was just a, trying to build a consistency thing, and then even you'll see a lot of planners now that are laid out that way that you can go buy it. You know, I bought one yesterday. I went and yeah. bought one yesterday. Yep, it, it, and I and love it. And then you summarize it down at the bottom. So now when you, you're at the clinic, you're at Coaching You or, or wherever in Coach Eastman or you are speaking, you're writing down as fast as you can everything there. But then it, that outside margin is when you're trying to make the, the application to your team. Because let's say you can't use every good idea, but, you know, this would be good for our team. You know, they're, they're ice in the pick and roll or yep. here's a great – you know, whatever it is, you can make that note out next to it, and then that's the key is how to adapt that and apply it to your program. And I wanted a yeah. format to be able to, to do that. Well, it certainly accomplished it, and I love it, and I'm, I'm adapt, I'm, ad, I'm, I've adapted to what the system <laughs> is, and I'm adopting it, and I'm stealing it. I'm doing all those things, Greg. He would be, he would be proud of all of that right there. Yes, and I know Coach Meyer, and, uh, and I love them dearly, and, and Pat also. Tell me this. When I wrote my book on Chuck Daly, uh, you know, as it, it took me 10 months, I, I probably could have written it in, you know, uh, 10 weeks, but I, I cried too much as I was writing it with the memories yeah. and stuff. Did you go through the same thing? Well, I did, you know, and, and kind of had, I just got goosebumps, Coach, when we were talking about that. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, as we were put at the final part, when we put the pictures in, and yeah. um, if you can see the, my arms right now, that's when it really got me, with both of them. And especially because yeah. the timing of it was right at the end of uh, when Coach passed. Yes. Yes, so that was, um, that was kind of, that you're, yes. And, you know, it probably took 10 years to put all this together. And the neat thing is, as I keep going through it, you keep, and I know you do this too, you keep finding more stuff you would love to put in. Yes. But, um, yeah, it does. It was, there was an emotional attachment to it. And, and that's why I said, you know, we never sell one of them. If we can give them all away, you know, Coach would be proud of that. But it was more for me. I wrote the book for me and our team and, and Cole and Carter that I would have them something that they could know what we were doing. Yeah. Well, they they will be proud of Dad and the work he did and proud of the way he learned. But, uh, you know, uh, let's go through uh, on, you know, Coach Meyer, who mm-hmm. if if the people – and please, please – any of our listeners, if you're not as familiar with Don Meyer, go find out as much as you can about him. Uh, thank the God best way to do it is like to Google it. the yeah. E60 piece. That's the one. Oh, good. Good. Uh, okay. Buster Oney, you know, Buster Oney from ESPN, you know, yep. uh, baseball, he wrote a book about Coach. Um, Have it right in front of me right now. How lucky can you be? Yeah, and, and that's a, you know, that, and that's a, that came from a line from the interviews that they did on the E60 piece. Uh Give me some thoughts of him that you would like to share with uh, our listeners that uh, will kind of give them an idea. And it doesn't have to be brief, you know, uh, Greg, you know, about what what was Don Meyer as a teacher, let's say. Tell, tell us about him as a teacher. What made him special? You know, co- coaches' ability, and that's the thing, I think separate Pat and coach, is their ability to teach. And both of them taught in different ways. And the thing that coach could do that, that that you just kick yourself for is that he could take whatever it is whatever and he came my you talk about making your, your rear end tight he came to our first exhibition game here and uh i was tied to tick anyway and that's all i needed was him to be there and he gave me about seven pages of notes from the exhibition game but his brevity he could say in three or four words something that would take me a paragraph or 10 minutes to say and, and it was what he he always talked about a great teacher can teach with word pictures. So when I put the words out there, there's immediately a picture going off in your head. Gotcha. And that's a great teacher. And that's what he's able to do. He could take, he could be sitting at a, at a baseball, he was a huge baseball fan and was a great baseball player. 
And the idea about getting up, you know, shots, rapid-fire shots, came and, and being efficient with basketballs and different types came from throwing batting practice. You know, he, he translated. He was able to take whatever. We were going through his Bible uh, when we were up there for the memorial service, and he had taken so many of the different New Testament principles, and out next to it he would have, you know, this is a great team attitude. This is a player taking a charge. His ability to relate stories to teaching points with a word picture separating. And it would be so simple, you'd kick yourself go, well, yeah, everybody knows that. Well, they, everybody may know it, but not everybody could express that point in, in such clarity and, and simplicity that he could. You know, we tend to, as a coach, overcomplicate it and, and add layers, and he was able to tear layers away and still teach. And uh, that's something that, you know, I strive for every day is not to complicate it. You know, he said just be sound, solid, and simple in your teaching. And um, Yeah, t- tell me about uh, him as a leader, though. How you know what defined him as a leader? What made him so special? To because his following is well, uh, the following one. Yeah, and it's yeah. legendary because you know everybody thinks well. You know he won the championship. He did all these clinics and sold all these thousands of tapes. We had all these right. campers coming there. But coach, what I have figured out is this. And it's taken me three years here, and, and I've heard the word and I've heard you teach it. But you know, as we said, that the teacher appears and the pupil's ready. He was transformational, and. If you go through this book, there's not one X and O thing in there, and that's not intentional. It just, it just because what they were about was everything. It's the transformational part. And I heard Tom Ziegler the other day talk about attitude and effort and skill yields productivity, and they got to be taught in that order. Too many times as a coach, and, and this is where coach is a great leader. It was all about attitude, then it was all about effort, and then it was skill. But you know, he's known as a skill coach. But his leadership and both their leaderships came from the ability to teach attitude and to model attitude and to teach effort. And that's that's the transformational part um, that they've been able to do. You know, coach impacted not just two. A lot of coaches can impact programs. And obviously both of them did. And, 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 you know, the guys in coaching you and you know have done that. He impacted two communities, coach. The entire Middle Tennessee and Southeast area for that matter. And then when he left here to go to South Dakota, completely owned that town. I went jogging up there at the memorial service the morning before and had a Lipscomb T-shirt on. And had, Coach, I had people stop me and offer condolences <laughs> as I ran down the road. It was unbelievable. There were signs all the way. The entire town nearly is at that memorial service. All these former players that were there. And you come back a week later, and there's 122 former players and student assistants here at the memorial service, and, and our arena's full. That, that's not that. That's a leader, you know. So it's not just one thing. It was his ability to relate to people and to transform players' lives. That was that way, and he did it in so many different ways. You know, we went up there his first uh, fall up there and carried a bunch of tapes. He hadn't sold his house down here, and we drove up there, and uh, we go to a football game. And he kept talking about the gypsies. They were like a booster club there at Northern. And so we're going through, and they're tailgating. It's a massive tailgate. They're grilling brats, and it's just huge. He said, come on. So we hopped through there, and we're just pulling food off the line and all this stuff. We're thinking, man, Coach is rolling right here with these people. And, and a little lady grabbed us, and she said, hey, how are you all doing? We said, we're great. We're just here with Coach. And she said, now, is he the new – they didn't know him. He didn't know him. <laughs> she said, so that's the new men's coach. We're like, holy crap, Coach. That's – you know, he didn't introduce – didn't do it. That was just him. Just made himself at home. And, and you know, and then the Gypsies were his biggest fans, and, and we got to know those people. It was just stuff like that that he had – you know, what made him great is also what made you uncomfortable because he had no filter, and, and he was just totally comfortable with, with anybody. And um, so it was, there was no pretense to him at all. He was uh, very close to Bob Knight, wasn't he? 
You know, not as close as, as he was earlier, but Knight had a huge influence on him. He always said yeah. that Knight saved his coaching career. Coach went to a clinic when he was at Hamlin, and Knight did a shooting clinic and offensive skills clinic, and Coach said it How, saved his career. That's an, that's an oxymoron, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow. He saved but, uh, his career, he thinks? He said because it changed the way I was thinking and teaching. And Knight never – it wasn't that Knight spoke to him they had to sit down. Uh-huh. And I think that's the amazing thing is that you can mentor somebody or, you know, I can listen to the, the podcast and be mentored by, by these people that you have on there. I don't even have to know them. Gotcha. And, and coaching in the same, you know, would teach that, that there's so many different ways to learn. And he said the best way to lead, you know, is to learn. And they go hand in hand. And uh, you know, that's something we're trying to get across to our players. And, and you know, especially the coach right here, because you, you think you know it all when you get here and you've got all these grand ideas. And then – you know, you, you tend to, you know, Knight said it, you, you're, you're rabbit hunting, but you're getting run over by the elephant sometimes. And, um, you know, it's been good for me to sit back and go back through the book and, and realize, okay, here's what's important. And, and back to leadership part, I'm rambling maybe, but I think the great coaches that you see in the tournaments, their teams play with such kind of a freedom. Yeah. But it's a disciplined freedom. But I think that goes back to that trust and, 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 and all of that buy-in, but that's all part of that transformation process that entire part of it. And what happens a lot of times, and I was guilty of this this year, when things don't go the way you want them to go or expect them to go, you start going transactional. You know, what can we get out without of this? Doubt. Yep. Without losing the – if you maintain the big picture, those things will take care of themselves. And that's, t- that's tough in a result-based world, but that's, that's where we've got to get better at, I think, as, as a coach. And that's what coach would want us to do. Yeah. Uh, Pat Summit, lover, uh, she's so special. Uh what she's done for the women's game uh, is a legacy that will be will go forever. Uh, what an honor to serve on her staff. Give oh, me truly was. about that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been lucky. I think it was Brian Bill that talked about working for Walsh was a laboratory in excellence. And, you know, I've been lucky to be in two labs of excellence right there and maintain relationships with, you know, with, with both of them. Um, and it's funny, they're so similar in so many ways and so different in others. But both of them had a tremendous impact. You know, Pat, you know, Pat, they talk about, could, you know, could have coached men. And the other thing that Pat could do was coach anything. Uh, I don't think there's a sport that she couldn't have coached. And, you know, they ran, you know, she won a national championship running high-low. She won a national championship pressing. She won a national championship, you know, in a half-court game. She had a great ability to assemble talent and then teach that talent what needed to be done. But, again, okay. it wasn't the X's and O's. You go back to Pat, there was that definite dozen. And that how we would sit down at the beginning, and that's the thing through the book I think that you catch, and that was the intent with that part of it was to see how well, in the book I put some of our notes from games and practices that I took, post-game notes, that was, pre-game notes. I thought notes, that was incredible. Halftime. Back to different games, yeah. Oh, yeah, and just instant memories. But what you see during that was how that definite dozen was woven throughout all those halftime talks or pre-game talks or post-game without being – necessarily she had made a point to go do it it was just part of our our fabric and you know the word culture i think has almost become a cliche sometimes now that we use especially in recruiting and stuff but you know when you look at the definition it's simply it's just how you go about doing things and what things matter to you so when you go back to culture with pat that definite dozen was woven in everything that we did you know that changed the much you got to be able to adapt you know accept full responsibility discipline yourself all of those things are part of you know, everything that went on during a game war practice. How did she go? How did she go about uh, teaching the definite dozen? Were they, you know, parts of it every day, or just 
you know, beginning of the season, here they are. How, how did she present it? The, the neat thing was on the first two days that the kids were back on campus, we would sit in a circle in the um, team room, and she would go through them. And you oh. can kind of see in the book, and we'd sit in a circle, and then different players would chime in, you know, especially seniors who had been there. You know, what, what does responsibility t- mean? Uh, what means being on time? You know, well, that's also being unselfish. And they would just, you know, from Lawson to, gotcha. you know, different guys chiming in right there. And that kind of, they reinforced it. Then Pat would talk about it, you know, what she thought. And each year, it was what was neat is that it was the same principle, but it affected each team a little bit differently. The, the, mean, the overall meaning didn't change. You know, discipline is still discipline, but the examples that they gave and how it impacted maybe one player, you know, Zoban or Brittany Jackson versus Kara, two different ways but it still was part of what we did. So that was that. That was kind of the, the, the indoctrination. Of course, it was on our notebooks. It was in front of us. But it was, like I said there, you know, it was it was expected to be on time. You know, it was expected to have a great attitude. It was expected to be able to adjust. So it was that accountability and just day in, day out. Coach called, Coach Meyer called it a soft rain. You know, he's a farmer. He said, you know, you don't want that big gully washer. You just need slow, steady rain to let it soak in. And that's what both of them were able to do. That you know, you might call it brainwashing, but it was a slow, steady <laughs> diet of that. And uh, so there wasn't one. It wasn't like she said. You know, today we're going to talking about you know, yeah, make hard work. You know, an attitude. No, it was. It was just through what she taught, and then most importantly, that you know, is it's what she modeled. You know, her thing was cows don't take a day off. You know, so we got to get to work today. And um, you know, both of them came from farming <laughs> backgrounds, and I don't think there's any. Um, that's funny. Oh yeah, now you might have got tired of that every now and then, but it, it certainly makes sense. That, you know, those cows don't care if you don't feel good. Those cows don't care that you're tired. You know, the work's got to get done. They were authentic people, really, right, big time. Yeah, and I think again, in a world that overuses the yeah. word transparent, they were. You know, and and Pat, you know, that that was the thing there. I can remember sitting at Captain D's restaurant. And if you knew Coach, that's where we ate. So it's me, Coach Summit, Coach Meyer, another guy who was working camp with us, and Tower. And, Co- and Pat had come through town. Um, this is when Coach had left Lipscomb. We were running camps for him at a, at a Cumberland University outside of Nashville. So we're sitting there. People are in awe that you've got Coach and Pat in the middle of Captain D's. And, uh, <laughs> and Coach is more enthralled with telling Tower little, you know, silly knock-knock jokes. Pat had specifically come as She had just come from Roy Williams and had made kind of a tour that summer of picking up some different things, you know, about being a learner. And she wanted to co- talk to Coach about the one-three-one that he had ran when they won the national championship. Well, Coach could right. care less. He was too busy talking about, you know, not-not jokes. So I got to have an hour-and-a-half-long conversation with Pat right there very early. So we kind of got to know each other through that. And um, But she was she made everybody feel at ease. Everybody felt like they knew her. You know, whether it was a pilot or a plane we were getting on or where we just walked up into a place, you know, wherever. And if we got time, i got a great story to tell you how authentic Absolutely. she was. Sure. We, uh, we're getting ready to go to Europe to play, and uh, Harry Peretta was there with us uh, watching us practice. So you get those 10 days before you go. Yeah. So we can't get in Thompson Bone to practice, so we got to walk up the hill to Stokely. And uh, we get up the hill, and you get close, and you hear all this ruckus. And, Brendan, there was a huge cheerleading camp going on. And all three of the assistants and our ops get that look like, oh, no, we're, we're all going to die and get fired because we're supposed to be practicing in 20 minutes. So we get up there, and there's just a 1,000 cheerleaders camp going on. Well, Pat's not happy, you know, because she is, ta- you know, we're always about being organized and planning and prepared. Well, anyway, quick part of the story is this girl comes up who's running it. And uh, so Danielle's telling her, our decorator officer says, hey, hey, we got a, we got a problem here. We're supposed to practice at 2.30. And the girl's like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. So Pat kind of stepped in and said, hey, we made reservations, and, and the girl cut her off. 
And the girl said, I'm sorry, but who are you? Well, Peretta dies. Peretta is laying on the ground in a fetal position laughing. We're thinking, oh, crap. And, and I thought, Pat's going to let her have it. That's what, you know, she's going to put this girl back in her place. And here's what Pat did. Pat said, you know what? That was rude of me. I'm sorry. I'm Coach Summer, women's basketball coach here. And we did go through. Anyway, Pat, with no ego, no nothing, apologized for not properly introducing herself. And I remember thinking, that's not how I would have handled that. I would have let her know who was boss. Mm. And anyway, it, we get it ironed out. We're practicing 30 minutes later. But it was one of the greatest lessons ever about humility. And she never said a word about being humble. She just did what she did. Okay, and um, that's a lesson I try to teach, you know. But if you don't model it, you can you can say whatever. But Pat, find, both uh, of them backed uh, up their talk. I find right now, uh, you know, and for our young coaches that are listening, uh, humility is such an important thing. If you're really good, if you're really special, if you've accomplished a lot, you don't have to tell anyone. Yep. You don't have to tell anyone. And we if talk you about haven't accomplished anything. You don't have to. You don't have to worry about telling people how good you are because you haven't done anything. Right. We even go one step further with humility. We talked to our players about that. Humility is essentially just how you see yourself. Mm. So, you know, a lot of times we think humble means being less. It's not being less. It's just being who you are, and who you are as a leader. Who you are as somebody that needs to defer to others. And you know that that's where we get out of out of sync with it. And, and Pat certainly saw who she was. She was a basketball coach who needed to introduce herself to somebody that didn't know her. And uh, that, that, it was one of the that, greatest that, lessons I've ever seen. Well, Greg, this is, uh, this is to me, uh, this for me was a learning-changing book, and I'm always searching for things to get better and to learn. Uh, this is one of the best things I have. I've never been so excited about, first of all, because I love you, but secondly, uh, this is something that is perfect for my on-season to go. I encourage every men and women's coach in the world that they need to get this, invest in this. Greg, tell people how they can get a, a hold of the best things I've seen in coaching. I appreciate that, Coach. And that title comes from a clinic that Coach Meyer used to do at the Coaching Academy, and he would just ramble on various topics for about an hour and a half. Yeah, and this really is the best things I've seen and uh, that they've been a part of. But you can go to to our website. It's www.coachgregbrown.com, all one word. And uh, it's $20, and we're using once we get um, some costs paid for, we're using it to um, – Donate back to the Coach Meyer Foundation and to the Pat Summit Foundation. And um, with shipping and handling, I think it's about $25. But it's, it's, a, okay, it's a great so project. Okay, so let's give that once again, uh, the website, sure. www. Go ahead. Uh, CoachGregBrown.com. Okay. And uh, $20, $5 shipping and handling. Uh, trust me, it is going to be something special for your library. Greg Brown, the women's coach at Lipscomb University, coach, mentor, and tremendous friend. Thank you for sharing so much today, Greg. Thank you for the opportunity, Coach.